0: We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you.
1: This morning's reading is from Mark chapter 15, verses 1 to 15. Jesus before Pilate. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders See how many things they are accusing you of." But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. "'Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews?' asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. "'What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews?' Pilate asked them. "'Crucify him!' they shouted. "'Why? What crime has he committed?' asked Pilate but they shouted all the louder crucify him wanting to satisfy the crowd Pilate released Barabbas to them he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified this is the word of the Lord
2: thanks be to God thank you David and good morning everyone what a mess What a mess. Trials in the dark, trials at dawn, a whole series of different trials with different charges brought against Jesus at each one. The people who wanted the authority to make decisions didn't have it. The people who had the authority didn't want it. And in the end, it's mob justice. And a violent insurrectionist walks free whilst the Son of God, the living embodiment of love, goes to his death. What a mess. Well, today we're continuing in our series looking at the last few hours of Jesus' life, as portrayed in Mark's Gospel. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen the betrayal of Judas, the denial of Peter, And today, we're looking at the trial of Jesus. I say trial. There were several of them, three, maybe four. And they weren't really trials. They were a mockery. This is long before the Geneva Convention on Human Rights. To understand a bit of what's going on, we need to do a little bit of geopolitical history. I know, sounds thrilling, doesn't it? But bear with me, I'll make it quick. So... The Roman Empire has spread out and is ruling now most of the uh, Middle East, including Jerusalem and all the surrounding areas. And there are several different power structures in play here. So we've got Herod Agrippa, the son of King Herod, who is a tetrarch, and he has jurisdiction over Galilee and then other bits over bits of Israel as well. Then we've got Pontius Pilate, so he is not a Jewish person, he is a Roman citizen, and he is the governor, and he represents Caesar. So he is the strong right arm of the Roman em- Empire. So he really has overarching authority here in Jerusalem, but the problem is that he's not a Jewish citizen, and so he doesn't have the respect and the authority that the pe- of the people. So, then we have the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin is the Jewish ruling council. And it's comprised of the chief priests and then of various elders of the city. Basically, the rich, influential people. Now, they don't have the same authority that Pilate has, but they do have the respect of the people, And so somehow these various different power structures have to work together. And as you can imagine, there's all sorts of different power plays going on. There's lots of, you know, smiling and then backstabbing and all sorts of stuff as they try and keep peace in this fairly tumultuous time in a difficult city. So into that then comes Jesus. And first of all, after his arrest, he's brought uh, to the house of one of the chief priests, uh, where, with a very small, select few people, they put him on trial. And they find him guilty. Of course they do. In this instance, it's probably particularly to do with the fact that Jesus, or the charges that Jesus has said he's going to tear down the temple. It's a bit of a misquoting of something that Jesus said, which actually referred to himself. The thing is, they haven't got enough people there to do anything about it. So Caiaphas, one of the chief priests, then begins to assemble the Sanhedrin to meet early in the next morning. So we're talking the early hours, probably dawn before dawn. So the Sanhedrin, this Jewish ruling council, has 71 people that sit on it. But you only needed 23 to get something passed through it. So what it seems likely has happened here is that Caiaphas has got together his cronies, his yes men, just enough of them to be able to get the conviction that he wants. It's quite possible that people like Joseph of Arimathea, who we know were on the Sanhedrin, weren't even invited or aware that this was going on. So this small group of the Sanhedrin get together, and again, after a mockery of a trial, Jesus is guilty. This time, principally of blasphemy, claiming to be the Messiah. So now, they've got enough authority to give a conviction what they don't have is any authority to do anything about it. So for that, they've got to take Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. So after giving Jesus a bit more of a beating, well, why not? They take him to Pilate. They've now got enough of them to say to put some pressure onto Pilate to make him make a decision. Now, Pilate is confused. He's confused about who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus isn't the king of the Jews, so he asks that question in mockery. But there's something about this man that speaks to Pilate. He knows that the chief priests and the Sanhedrin have got their own ends that they're working towards. On the other hand, he knows that Jesus is accruing quite a following for himself, and that doesn't fill Pilate with much joy. Uprisings are the last thing that he needs. On the one hand, his wife, uh, we hear from other Gospels, not this account, has written to him saying that she's had a dream and that he mustn't uh, be involved with this man because he is innocent. On the other hand, he knows he's got to keep the Sanhedrin on side because he needs them to help govern the city. Pilate is confused. In other Gospels, Pilate sends Jesus off to Herod Agrippa, Uh, But it's not recounted here in Mark, and in the end, it doesn't make much difference because because, uh, Herod just says, no, not interested in that, and sends him right back anyway. So Pilate has to make a decision. He's confused, but he is also a master manipulator. He hasn't risen to this kind of position uh, without good reason. So he thinks he's got to work out which way the wind is blowing. He knows what the chief priests and the Sanhedrin think, but do the Jewish people think the same? So he decides uh, to invoke uh, a a ritual, which uh, actually we don't hear about anywhere else in in history, but all four Gospels agree on, which is that at Passover, he can release one prisoner to the Jews. And so he goes out to the crowd to try and seek the will of the people, and then he can work out uh, which way the wind is blowing. He says, who do you want me to release? Is Barabbas an insurrectionist and murderer or Jesus? And the crowd immediately cry that they want Barabbas to be released and Jesus to be crucified. Pilate thinks he's heard the will of the people. As it happens, probably, I suspect, what he's got is a bunch of Caiaphas' cronies who he's got in the crowd and then you know, a, a, a bunch of people who, through kind of mob mentality, are being incited to hatred. Nonetheless, Jesus' fate is sealed and he goes to his death. Before we look at what we're to make of all of that, let's take a slight detour. I want to uh, give you a quiz. Three questions, each with three answers. A, B, and C. So try and just remember which you're saying uh, for each. Question number one. Are you A, always right, B, usually wrong, or C, well, mostly get there in the end? Question two. Do you prefer... A, cats, B, rats, or C, owls? And question three, your favourite subject at school A, all of them, I just love learning, B, none of them, School stupid, or C, defence against the dark arts? You've probably guessed by now that these are questions to try and establish which character in the Harry Potter novels and films, you might be. If you answered A to most of those questions, then you're Hermione. If you answered B, you're Ron. And if you answered C, congratulations, you are Harry himself. Not perhaps the most sophisticated of quizzes that you can find on the internet, but it was the shortest. And it turns out that there are millions of these sorts of quizzes where you can work out which character you are or which character you relate to most from Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or Friends or Twilight or Marvel or whatever it might be. And often the quizzes are pretty facile, but they are extraordinarily popular. And actually, you know, it's not a bad way to read some passages in the Bible, to actually seek to put ourselves into the scenario. Who are we in this passage? Who do we relate to most? And what might God be saying to us out of that? And so for the next few minutes, that's what we're gonna do with this passage. We're gonna take four characters or groups uh, within this account and think about whether we might relate to them and what, might, what God might be saying to, the, to us out of it. So, first of all then, do you relate to the members of the Sanhedrin? So don't forget, these are the wealthy and influential people in the city. Now, before we just tarnish them completely as baddies, let's remember that these are humans. They're 3D nuanced characters. So, in their defense, they probably did think that Jesus was a blasphemer, that he was stamping all over their faith and traditions, and they wanted rid of him for that reason. But let's also be realistic Their main motivations, I'm sure, are that they wanted to protect their own position and privilege. They wanted to maintain their own positions of power. And they weren't averse to a spot of injustice along the way. And quite frankly, this Jesus, with all his fancy Dan New Age talk of enfranchising women and the poor and foreigners and outcasts, He was in danger of turning their quite nice little position upside down. And they weren't having any of it. So, do you relate to the Sanhedrin? Sounds like a harsh question, doesn't it? Maybe you don't feel like you have privilege and power and that you're protecting it sometimes in unjust ways. But you know what? Unrecognized privilege can be just as damaging as recognized privilege. And actually, most of us engaging in this service here and now find ourselves amongst the 1% most wealthy people in the world. We might not feel enormously powerful or privileged, but actually we are. And with that power, comes great responsibility. So I wonder whether God might be asking us to recognize something of that today and think about how we use that power and privilege. For example, this week when you have the choice of buying a cheap t-shirt from a dodgy source or spending an extra tenner to buy one which definitely hasn't involved slave labor, what decision might you make? It's a decision of justice or injustice. This week, if you have the choice between just picking off the you know the easy the easy uh, pot of coffee off the shelf, or actually going for the more hassled approach of taking a bit more time and finding one that's been fairly traded, which will you choose? It's a question of justice and injustice or this week when you think about what energy supplier you use or how much food you waste or how you travel to work what decision might you make because actually it's a decision of justice and injustice because all those decisions have an impact directly or indirectly on an individual basis or cumulatively on the poor around the world Are we just protecting our own privilege or can we use our position of power to promote justice in our world so do you relate to the Sanhedrin and if so what change might you make this week secondly do you relate to Pontius Pilate now on the one hand we've already said that he was a manipulator but again He's a 3D human character. Actually, what I want to think about now is the fact that Pilate was confused about who Jesus was. Do you relate to that? Are you confused about who Jesus is? Perhaps you're new to this whole church malarkey. Maybe you've been dragged along by a spouse or a parent. Or maybe actually just something that's been occurring in your life has prompted you to ask the deeper questions of faith and you're tuning in today to try and find some kind of answers about who this Jesus might be. Well, if so, you are really warmly welcome and uh, we'd love, John or I would love to chat with you or you could join one of our Christianity Explored or Alpha courses to think through questions about who Jesus is. Or maybe... Actually, you've been a church attender, a person of faith, a follower of Jesus for years, maybe all your life. But right now, you are just so confused about who Jesus is. I want to say three things to you. Firstly, you are not alone. You'd be surprised at how many people, even those who look like perfect little Christians, are confused. Are people who have doubts. In fact, all of us do at some point or other, and many of us do right now. You are not alone. It is nothing to be embarrassed about or shy about. Secondly, I want to say that confusion or doubts are not the opposite of faith. In fact, quite the reverse is true. They are an essential part of faith, because faith without doubt. Is simply certitude. And certitude isn't faith and is always a lie. Doubts, confusion are a part of faith. Faith is a journey. And that journey involves times of confusion or doubt, of big questions. So you're not alone. And it's okay. In fact, it's even recommended. And then, thirdly, I want to say, however, don't dwell. In those doubts seek to to move through them to find clarity out of the confusion and the way to do that is to talk with other people about it chat with your family with your friends engage with those things at home group like I say there's nothing to be embarrassed about or shy about in fact as you ask those kind of questions you may well find that other people are asking exactly the same ones come and talk to John or myself we'd love to chat with you about it Confusion and doubts are part of our journey of faith, but they're not the end of it. There are ways through. There aren't magic answers or easy answers, but there are answers that can be found in a relationship with Christ. So, perhaps you relate to Pilate. You're confused about who Jesus is. And if so, what's the next step for you this week? Thirdly, then, maybe you relate to the crowd, this crowd of people who are incited to hatred. Again, that maybe feels like a harsh question to ask, and yet it's so easy to find ourselves uh, wrapped up in a mob mentality or a herd mentality, to find ourselves um, with the people around us engaging in bullying or hatred or derision. It's so easy to find ourselves engaging in that. Several years ago now I went to a football match. Uh, it, was, it was Southend South End against Millwall, and I went with a South End fan. I was sitting in the South End end. Uh, and the game was not going well for South End. Millwall were winning, and the referee was making a series of decisions which seemed to favor Millwall rather than South End. And all the South End fans uh, around me were, were becoming increasingly irate. And in fact, they were, you know, the people the, the whole stand was up on its feet shouting at the ref. And I found myself riding on this wave of vitriol. It was a moment, a really weird moment where I found myself standing on my feet, bellowing, you've forgotten your glasses, ref. Where's your pen mate? The referee's a wally. That was a word that I used anyway. I'm a good Christian boy. And it dawned on me, Jonesy, what are you doing? You don't support Southend. You don't care who wins this match. And you certainly don't have any hatred for the poor chap in the middle who's trying to referee a bunch of thugs, trying to, you know, kick the living daylights out of each other whilst being abused by 20,000 thugs in the stand. What's going on? It's so easy to find ourselves in this mob mentality, engaging in a hatred which perhaps, if we thought about it clearly, we wouldn't even hold to. We can see it, can't we, in things like uh, IS, or Daesh, the way that they're able to, uh, to use rhetoric, power, influential people, the herd mentality, to make people uh, believe all sorts of things that under normal circumstances they might not. Those, those fighters for IS, most of them, they're normal people, but they've been incited to hatred. And as Christians, we shouldn't feel too smug about this, thinking it's just other religions or whatever that, that, that engage in these kind of things. Our history is littered with similar examples, like the Crusades, for example, or Christians in 1930s Nazi Germany, or Christians in uh, apartheid South Africa. In fact, even just a few weeks ago, the, uh, you know, the riots on Capitol Hill, many of those people there would no doubt describe themselves and, and in fact may well be, Followers of Jesus, Christians themselves. so easy to get incited to hatred. It may be that for us, here in South Croydon or wherever we're watching today, that all feels a bit extreme. But perhaps there are less extreme examples. Maybe we get caught up in bullying at work or at school. Maybe through uh, the teachings of our parents, or our church leaders, or our national leaders, we find ourselves looking down upon, or deriding, or dismissing people who are different from ourselves. Maybe we find online, the things that we engage with online, we find ourselves uh, engaging in discussions, or debates, or arguments that actually we wouldn't normally that we find ourselves saying things from the safety of, our, of tapping it onto our phone that we simply wouldn't normally, that we end up abusing people or groups of people. It's so easily done. And so I wonder, do you relate to the crowd? And if so, is God prompting you to make a change this week? Well, we may or may not relate to one or more of those groups characters, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, and the crowd. Actually, we can all relate to Barabbas, because in some ways, we are all Barabbas. Barabbas is described here as an insurrectionist and a murderer. But again, let's not forget he is a 3D character. He is nuanced. He is good and bad. It sounds like he's committed murder, which is obviously unacceptable. Obviously, a crime and a sin. Being described as an insurrectionist, of course, of course. well, depending on your stance, maybe he's a hero. Maybe, actually, he is a fighter for freedom, rising up against the oppressive Roman Empire. Maybe he's doing wonderful things for the people of God. You see, Barabbas is, is nuanced. He's got good in him and bad in him, as have we all. He finds himself imprisoned, bound up. But then Jesus takes his place that he might be free. Now, there are all sorts of ways of looking at what Jesus did on the cross, all sorts of pictures we can use. And actually, I think it's helpful uh, to think about a variety of those pictures rather than just one. But here we have a picture of substitution of Jesus taking the place of Barabbas that he might go free. And we are all Barabbas. Jesus takes our place that we might have freedom. Barabbas' name is an interesting one. It can be broken down into Bar, meaning son of, and Abbas, which probably comes from the word Abba, meaning father. So Barabbas' name literally means son of the father. To translate into more inclusive language, we might say, child of God. And so, you see, because of Jesus, because of who he is and what he has done, we are free to make decisions of justice rather than injustice, to acknowledge our confusion and to work through it to find relationship with him to decide to choose the path of love rather than hatred even when all around us are doing something different because this foolishness this weakness of Jesus here in this passage allowing himself to be taken to the cross has won for us the freedom to be children of God let's live in that freedom this week living lives inspired by Jesus that bring glory to God. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.